0: This is On and Off Your Mat podcast, episode 109, The Inner Work. Are you on a journey of personal growth? Or simply looking to be a little happier? Or wondering, how can you be on that path, but with a partner? If so, this episode is for you. For today's episode, I sat down with Matt and Ash, aka The Yoga Couple. They are internationally recognized for their holistic healing work, authentic yoga teachings and as the creator of the Inner Work Method, which includes a best-selling book and a podcast all under the same name. They have made it their mission to bridge the gap between Western psychology and Eastern philosophy, hosting healing retreats, yoga teacher trainings, and one-on-one life counseling sessions specializing on understanding the varying level of human consciousness and the power to self-heal any aspect of human condition, including relationship issues, overcoming addiction, inner child healing, and trauma recovery. As you listen to this episode or any other of our episode, take a screenshot and share it with us on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will, of course, we share you, but in this way, everybody will also be able to read your takeaways so we can go deeper together in the content of each episode and so we can learn from each other as a community. All right, let's get to today's episode with the lovely yoga couple. Hi guys, welcome. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for being here today Thank you We're so grateful to be here Honored So Matt, Ash, for people that don't know you very well Can we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself And your yogic
1: and spiritual journey Mm. So we are Matt and Ash, better known as the Yoga Couple And people often ask us like why we have coined ourselves the Yoga Couple It's like our social media handles and our website and all these things. And we always say that, you know, for us, our practice, our relationship in and of itself, we're in the yoga of relationship. And we have this commitment between our individual journey and our shared journey for self-realization. And our relationship dynamic is kind of the path in which we do the inner work. It's The path that we're doing, the work of yoga. So, we're we're the yoga couple because we are in the yoga of relationship. And uh, we have two different journeys, but we kind of came together in the same place and realized that there's a lot of similarities between what we were um, seeking and what kind of inspired us to to both join this path. My teacher is Paramahansa Yogananda, and it's the path of Kriya Yoga. And Matt's teacher, He was a doctor, but he was like an ordained monk, right? Dr. David Hawkins. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: uh, he he really studied human consciousness and was an enlightened teacher who also was a doctor. So kind of bridged the gap between the spiritual world and the world of science science and medicine. So we like to kind of combine these so that no matter where you are in your journey, if you're somebody who really values science and medicine and, you know, proof on that physical plane, we are able to kind of pull from Dr. David Hawkins' work and speak to people from that place. Or if you're somebody who is, you know, up in those higher chakras and need to be, you know, met in that realm, then we kind of are, you know, pulling from the Kriya yoga path. So- Amazing.
0: I love that mix of science and woo-woo. It's my favorite kind of balance.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like all, all is one. Like it's, you know, we can, we can speak about it in whatever way the, the person or the individual needs to be heard, but it, yeah, it's all, it's all the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you
0: mentioned a few things that I will like to come back to. You talked about yoga relationship, which I think is interesting. You talked about the inner work and consciousness in that little intro. So let's start with the inner work. You released a book called The Inner Work. So what is that? What does that mean? What does self-actualization, as you were talking about, looks like or mean for you guys? Just so we're all on the same page.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the inner work. I would say in the simplest ways, to me, I I call it the hero's journey of healing. So that I think is the first level we can look at the inner work that we can all relate to. So we all have healing that needs to be done. We all have wounds. We all have emotional scars from uh, our upbringing, from experiences we went through. So first and foremost, it's it's a manual and a guide for the healing journey. And the biggest thing that is important to take away from the inner work is that the healing journey is relative to where you are. And as we learn in yoga, uh, the reason why you usually have teacher to student relationship is because the, the guidance you need in your spiritual journey is very specific to you and give that same spiritual teaching to someone else at a different stage in their journey. And it can actually hurt them. And so our whole message is that the healing journey is relative and it's okay to be where, where you, you are. Because trying to take someone from a deep trauma into love and forgiveness is can actually be very traumatic and uh, cause a lot of hurt and pain. So our our favorite motto that we try to always remind people of is beware that someone's medicine, given at the wrong time, can actually be someone's poison. And so the, the biggest thing, first and foremost, in the inner work is that it's a journey of healing. And it helps you really clearly see the stages of the healing journey meet you wherever you are in the journey from the most traumatic of shame and rejection all the way to being a self-improvement mm-hmm. spiritual junkie and you just want more anywhere and everywhere along the journey it will meet you and ultimately take you to true freedom and lasting happiness, which would be that self-realization of um, being restored back to our innocence of unconditional love, remembering the truth of who we are, and being free from all the baggage of the, the traumas that we've accumulated.
1: Mm-hmm. And nanda says healing and self-realization are one and the same. So yeah. if you're doing the healing work, you're on your path to self-realization. So it's not about, you know, we always say in the yoga tradition, it's not about like accumulation or getting anything. It's about undoing, right? Like un, unlearning, letting go of, detaching from like everything we think we are we let go of. It's that journey of letting go. So the inner work is like this manual for being human of how to see your life and everything in your life as a simulation for your realization, a simulation for you to return back to to truth. It's like this game of life is like our school, you know, the school of life. And so how do we approach the most mundane things in our life and see it as profound spiritual mirrors you Mm -hmm. know and so that's that's really what the inner work book takes the reader on a journey through that
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've read the book and uh, it's Ah! really a really good easy read and yet it's very grounded so it's it's, it's not, like, so out there. You're like, I don't understand what's going on. It's clear. It's concise. So, guys, you should really get to it. You mentioned the word happiness, and there's a part in the book where you talk about happiness, too. And I think for our listeners, it'd be interesting to talk about what impacts our happiness. Because I don't think people necessarily depending on where they are on their journey they're aiming necessarily for self-actualization right away they're kind of aiming to feel better to be a little happier to right to not have so much dissatisfaction or distress in their life so if we start there like what impacts our happiness or what's the source opposite in the opposite way of our dissatisfaction with our lives right now
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So part of the the beauty of the inner work journey is we lean into the themes of consciousness that were originally outlined by Dr. David Hawkins and the themes you can think of as degrees of awareness of the truth. And so what you were saying just now is a really good example of everyone is at different levels of awareness of that truth. Some of us are deeply, deeply suffering and some of us are more we're closer to it. And we feel that happiness more often. It's a little more uh, available to us. Mm -hmm. And so I would say the biggest thing that is impeding that is our ego, our human psyche, our ego becomes attached to the suffering we have experienced. And it accumulates that as an identity. And so one of the things we go over in the book is the ego is my favorite way of thinking of it is it's a mechanism of familiarity. So whatever is familiar to us, it will identify with. So if abuse is familiar to us, it says, I am abused. This is my life. I need to accept this. If it's born into a hostile home environment, it just thinks this is normal. So the ego, it absorbs its environment and it, it identifies with trauma. It identifies with painful experiences. And so the biggest thing to help us be happy and to start making progress is we actually have to let go of identification with the negative experiences we have been through, whether we consciously went through them or they happened to us, um, say being in our mother's womb, the level of conditioning we all go through is so astronomical. Uh, even just being in society, we're getting indoctrinated constantly with every single thing we, we interact with. And so the biggest impediment is our attachment to false identities, our attachment to our suffering. This is all subconscious. So we don't know we're doing this, um, and to put it really, really practically, what impedes our happiness is that we don't think we deserve it to, to put it really, just getting really blunt with it. Our ego tells us, no, you can't have that. No, no, you don't deserve that. You can't have a good relationship. You can't be loved. You're not lovable. You're not enough. Right. So the ego, it it gets identified with these, these pains. And then it tells us that we can't have happiness. Right. And so the work that Ash was mentioning earlier was, letting go of that, letting go of those identifications and realizing, Hey, that was never true. You were always w- worthy of love.
1: And the epitome of happiness is the embodiment, uh, and the, the full belief and faith and the truth that everything is exactly as it should be. All is divine. All is perfect. All is for our benefit. All is, you know, the divine God, whatever that word is for you interacting with you and all is well. And you're always safe. And, it's all okay. But our disbelief in that is what blocks our joy because we could be in the most challenging situations and still maintain that belief. And no matter what is happening externally to us, if we have and hold that belief in in our heart, that is what is true for us. So our ability to do that uh, requires practice it requires discipline it requires yeah practice like any other skill and and that's like that inner work journey is doing that work day in day out until that that becomes effortless so we talked about letting go of
0: labels of that ego attachment to what we know to be true air quote because of our past conditioning and we talked about our internal dialogue right like the stories we tell ourselves and how we are trying to make those true too. We're creating, you know, a condition in our environment for us to be right about what we believe in this world because that creates safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how exactly. do we start? That's exactly right. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> Good. Um, how do we start to practice to let go or to switch or to shift that internal dialogue? Do you have tools that you can share with listeners? How do we start that process?
2: Mm-hmm. So first and foremost is we have to become aware that we are even in a pattern. So yep. the first step is that most of us, because the, the reason why this it's obvious, but it's also tricky because the ego does is never going to acknowledge this. So this does require conscious effort to actually try to do because the ego doesn't want to be found. It doesn't want us to know that it's it doing it to us. It always wants to blame the outside thing. So the first step is to turn the gaze within and to be like, instead of projecting the problem outside of us, we have to hyper-focus on why do I even see this as a problem in the first place? And so that's the first biggest step is we have to, is we have to tune in our awareness to look for patterns, start to see, is this something that I get triggered by often? Is this a pattern I notice um, commonly? Do I, do I view things this way in other areas of my life? We have to start to expand our perception of ourselves and be start to have accountability of looking for the patterns.
1: And then once we identify the pattern in the inner workbook, this is why we have the themes of consciousness outlined, because each of these themes of consciousness are kind of like you can think of them as like a vibration or a frequency or a pattern. Mm -hmm. Is that Once we get in like a holding of this frequency, we'll start to see it everywhere. It's like the way we think about things, the way we view things, the words we're saying, the thoughts we're thinking, um, the actions that we take has this overall pattern to it because it's the same vibration over and over and over again. We're stuck in this pattern. So once we build that awareness and that, um, yeah, that self-awareness, we can then identify where we are. And it's only when we know where we are that we can take that next step. We start from where we are, but we have to know where we are, right? And so uh, that's why that first step is so crucial. And like the yoga practice in general is so beneficial to people because it's that first practice of self-awareness, even if it starts with our body. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And that self-awareness helps us because, and when we turn back in, we're getting back in the present, right? We're getting back into our bodily physiology sensations, like what is happening here? Because those are clues as well as, you know, the words and the language we're using and the stories we're making up in our head. And what that brings me, if I loop back to happiness, is how you mentioned in the book that chasing happiness doesn't bring happiness like the action of chasing we often think of it like this like when I fill in the blank I will be happy right Mm -hmm. so how do we stay in awareness and in presence and let go of that chasing of what might come what might happen when I do xyz Mm
2: -hmm. this is (laughs) (laughs) you
1: could, you <laughs> <need more attachments. laughs> we're both excited this is
2: the yoga you want to go <laughs> okay ahead. love
1: wow. it I'd say two different things here um yeah the please. first thing that is you know hitting me is that the one of the things that's coming to mind is our giving value in a way that is um it's false value. We're giving value to the external and saying, this is the source, right? Mm -hmm. And that confusion right there in and of itself needs to be dismantled. Because if you are giving the power to the things external, this is what is causing the chasing first and foremost. If you continue to believe that happiness, joy, and good feelings Come from things that happen to you outside of you, and is a direct result of your condition, your environment, your circumstances. Then you will forever chase environment and circumstance because you have deemed it the source of your joy. So that belief right there, where does happiness come from, has to be reevaluated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, like that first thing right there, is something that I think a lot of people, um, you know maybe have not thought about, right? Like it's just entrained into us since childhood that, you know, we get a toy, we're happy, we're indoctrinated to receive pleasure from getting treats and (laughs) the things that we want. We get we develop what we call in the book mindness mentality. Mind, 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 I want, I want, I want. So this whole thing has to get dismantled and we have to say, is there a more consistent and um like trustworthy source of joy that maybe I am not um, partaking in? Like, what if, like, what if it gets even better? What if there's a source of joy and happiness that you haven't even tapped into yet because you've been accepting this limited version of happiness? Oh, that's so juicy. And I love it. yeah, <laughs> this is what all of the, the saints and sages have been, you know, and enlightened beings have been trying to to bring our awareness to, that there is an even better attainment of joy that is so blissful, we can't even put words to it. And uh, and if we would just trust that and turn that gaze, like Matt was saying, back within ourselves, the cup is overflowing and it never stops. And so uh, I think it's this redefining of the source of our joy that needs to get, um, we need to question that. We need to, we need to really open ourselves up to the possibility that there is a source of joy that is more full, more consistent, more pure, and actually ours. Like what Yogananda says, we're royalty. We are incarnations and um, descendants of royalty. Uh, That is, it is ours and it always was ours. And so we don't have to, we don't have to, Accept this cheap treat cho- joy that we're getting in treats outside of ourselves because it's so it's such a lesser degree That's reductive. we truly already have. Mother, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. do you yeah,
2: want to add ego, something? Yeah, sure. the The ego will always. It, this is another good example of how it's always externally projecting. So whether the cause of our suffering is getting projected external or the cause of our joy is getting projected external, it has this. The reason why it does that to just dovetail off of what Ash was saying is the reason why we tend to not want to look within is because that's a lot of responsibility. And now here's the catch is if my happiness is within me, I never get a complaint. If my happiness is within me, then I gotta be accountable. If I if my happiness is within me, then I need to like I'm my, it from I myself. I need to own my shit. If if it's within me, then it's my problem. And and the it's ego doesn't want to do that. What what was that?
0: It's mine to tend
2: yeah yeah exactly and so this is this is that interesting um thing again where we see this phenomena of it takes a lot of courage to look within it takes a lot of courage to turn the gaze within ourselves and here's the catch though is it's also the most empowering thing ever though so the result is totally worth it the result is you will be more empowered and like ash is saying able to tap into such consistent happiness that you've never felt before but it does come at a cost in the ego's eyes which is it takes a little bit of vulnerability it takes some accountability <laughs> and it's probably going to be uncomfortable because uh you know ironically we can become uh attached to giving that power away it becomes kind of um the easier route it's it's nice to be able to blame things outside of us so that's that's like the the interesting thing to a, the chase is the chase is it's kind of addicting and fun but then it also is never fulfilling and so eventually it's like all right well now I what? gotta switch it up mm-hmm. yeah exactly
0: mm-hmm. yeah do you believe that it's easier for people to start with taking responsibility about the negative quote-unquote side so like the thing that are that is hard instead of taking responsibility on creating happiness taking responsibility first on noticing what creates dissatisfaction and how to shift out of that before being okay or imagining or starting to understand that oh i can also take responsibility in feeling better in feeling more joy like I, for some people i feel like maybe starting to move away might be easier
1: first do you have an idea on that? Mm-hmm. I I love that you brought this up because um in like the new age spirituality movement there's so much talk about, you know, positivity and manifesting and just staying in this high frequency. And I feel like when you're in the pits of destruction or you are having, you know, a very challenging time in your life, this feels so unattainable mm-hmm. and so like disillusioned it's like you wanted me to just be happy when i am in deep suffering yeah it
0: feels like a band-aid on top of a wound like it's not really getting to the root cause of things i'm just playing pretend that i'm happy here with affirmations on top of beliefs that are negative and that are stopping me to actually do anything take action on those new affirmation yeah
1: feels like you're being like gaslit like by yourself (laughs) like your pain isn't real Mm -hmm. And, and this is the, the beautiful thing about this approach that we have, um, in the inner work book is that we're really, um, like supporting of, it is okay to be where you are. And in fact, it's necessary. Like where you are is beautiful and perfect. So if you are in the wound of rejection, like that is exactly where you need to be right now. That is where your work lies. You don't need to jump up into positive thinking and gratitude. We need to deal with this wound of Rejection and deal with the inheritance that we have around shame. And this is more empowering, even though we're focusing on the negative. And I hear all this all the time, like in the spiritual new age, is like, don't focus on the negative, don't talk about it, don't whatever, because you're perpetuating it. And it's like this really interesting superstition around like, we're not supposed to have any pain ever. And if we talk about our pain, we're creating the pain. When actually, our ability to talk about the pain, be in the wound, have those feelings is what helps us become free of it. This avoidance is actually showing that it has power over us because we're so afraid of it that we have to avoid it with superstition because it has so much power. It's like, we are so empowered. We can be in that wound, talk about those feelings and process it. And it naturally gets resolved when we face it. And like we always say in yoga, lean into the discomfort, like that is the way out. So it is more empowering to process from where you are also because you don't have to go do anything and think positive and add more. You only need to let go of what you're not. So if there is um, letting go is much easier than grasping. And so if we're dealing with the wound of rejection, your only work is letting go of the wound of rejection, not grasping for happiness.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, Unless this is the end of the show, everybody I'm posted on that now. (laughs) I'm just
0: leaving a moment for people to like let it land. You know, because I know that sometimes we hear these things and we need a minute to process. Like it's so different than what we're accustomed to or it's so far out from what we are comfortable with. That if we don't take a minute to let it land, it doesn't land at all. It's just being being like, you know, grazed over and you're like, I didn't really hear that thing. Um, One thing I like about this example, and maybe that will help people kind of see it as well, is we take it in a really smaller thing. If you think of an emotion, an emotion that you're avoiding to feel Is not just going to disappear and go away and leave you alone. It's going to fester and become, you know, bigger and it's going to show up in different ways and in different aspects of your life. So it's kind of the same idea. Avoiding doesn't make it go away. It might probably make it worse for you. So if we can actually Mm -hmm. take a moment like for the emotion to feel it, to be with it, to really, then you can move that energy, then you can shift, but you won't be able to change something you're unaware of, one, we talked about awareness, and you won't be able to change something or to shift something you're avoiding to connect to and like pretending mm-hmm. it doesn't exist, right? So it's the exact same thing you were saying.
2: Mm-hmm, absolutely, and that's, and that's the beauty of um, knowing the themes is let's say the theme of anger, like there is a very healthy time and place where you need to be angry. There is a very healthy time and place when you need to be judgmental and blame someone there, there are,
1: well, let's just stop right there because that's like such a no, no. And like, like never blame, never have judgment, like never, ever, ever. And that's like, totally like I could, we just glazed over that, but like, if I know that that's such a triggering one for people. Sure.
2: Okay. We'll dive into it real quick. So, um, so, you know, let's take a
1: step back. Just so people people that
0: are not aware when you talk about themes of consciousness, can you just quickly go over what that is and then we can dig back into what you were saying.
2: Sure, sure. So as a reminder, the concept is there, it's levels of awareness of the truth. So degrees of awareness from the truth. So at the top is like enlightenment. It's pure bliss, it's joy, it's love, it's unconditional love, knowing that we are completely loved and um, all is in the divine. And then to the completely cut off, would be shame and rejection. So it's, the, it's feeling the complete opposite of that, completely unloved, completely not enough, unworthy. And so from the bottom to the top, we kind of climb our way through this. Um, first is the shame, that wound of rejection. And then from there, it's guilt and judgment. From there, it's hopelessness or apathy. From there, it's grief, grief. and regret. Next, we have to process the fear, fear. of who would I be without all of those. And then move into the desire, desire of who do I want to be though? And then anger comes along when we get frustrated for change. And we're like, I need this to change. It has to change. We then get prideful. We move into pride where we start to feel a healthy sense of confidence over what we've achieved. But then pride has a problem with um, being in denial and accountability. So it needs to go to the next level, which is courage to be accountable. And then officially at this, point, we're in a massive transition point into self-honesty and accountability. And from here on, it's a lot more relieving. This is our first major goal in the healing journey is to have the courage to look at ourselves honestly. From here, it starts to get more pleasant. So the next would be neutrality, which is like maintaining, like I did it, I did my work. Now I just need to maintain this healthy, even status quo. From there though, we then go into willingness where we want, to, we, we want more. We want to help more. So we've helped ourselves. Now we want to help others and we, we get motivated. We get self-motivated to give and inspire others or just enhance our lives. And then we move into acceptance was is when the the self-esteem is fully ripened and we've accepted forgiveness for ourselves. We've accepted our um, life as a balance of effort and non-attachment. We've accepted our internal power compassion over our state others. and therefore compassion mm-hmm. over others. Exactly. And then the last couple is from there, we then move into reason and logic where we become
1: it's like the creative genius theme of yeah. like um people who invent things that benefit humanity and we we've done so much in your work and we're so self-empowered that now we're like we're of getting that download world. and yeah we want to
2: understand it and be able to explain it to others and help help continue the the innovation process and then from there we make another massive transition in the journey. And after reason and logic, we're officially leaving the like mind body 4d realm. And we're moving into the really more quantum, which is we officially get into the actual realms of love. And when we are in the actual themes of love, joy, true freedom, and lasting happiness or enlightenment, unconditional love, these energies are spiritually based. This is when we officially make a transition into, to living a spiritually minded lifestyle. When we transition into, to, truly living with love it's it's to actually accept that we are always loved at all times and all of life is actually a giant mirror of showing us how loved we are but as you can imagine just walking through all that just now feel just the difference in how that sounds compared to like when we're starting down on these other emotions and it, you can just kind of feel the vibration themselves in in how it works and so even the feeling of the states when we're cut off from truth, it's heavy, it's dark, it's dense, and it's rough. As we move up, it's more and more relieving. It's more and more light. It's more and more free, and we're able to to move into that that peace again, which technically is our truth. It's our it's our birthright. Everybody is entitled to their enlightenment. Everybody's entitled to their to their joy and happiness. It's actually the it's it's all of us. It's within all of us to have that, which is why it's like you know all of us that are trying to help. People heal that's our whole intention is to help everybody realize that because it's it's literally within all of us
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thank you for that explanation that was great so now that we have this you know overview of what this is let's come back to our trigger warning and let's talk about <laughs> the validity of shame yeah. and judgment and wherever you are going with this
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if you have this wound of uh, rejection or this wound of shame, which is like, you know, total cut off from the truth of where you feel unworthy of love. And this usually has to do with a trauma of extreme abuse, such as like a rape victim or, you know, abandonment of a parent or feeling unwanted by a parent, something like this. Um, Telling somebody who is a rape victim, just just love and forgive and be happy. And like we were saying, this, this bypassing of positivity is not useful. The next step for them is to move into guilt and judgment. It's actually healthy for them to give back the, the feelings they have of unlovableness that were projected onto them by their abuser and say, that wasn't mine. I'm carrying this because I went through this abuse and the person who abused me, they were in shame. They were in shame and they felt unworthy of love. This was their stuff.
2: This, this experience was an act created out of that energy. Right. And it's not me. It was the energy of the experience.
1: And that awareness of that is theirs is that blame moment, that judgment moment that yeah. is actually a healthy so expression healthy. for mm. the person to heal. They need to give it back. We call it return to sender. <laughs> Who gave this to you? Where did you return. inherit it? Give it back. And Yes, if you were to stay in the theme of guilt and judgment for the rest of your life, and you never moved out of it, it would be a very bleak that existence.
2: So, would, would be a new trap. <laughs> yeah, there's a point try. where it's
1: not <laughs> useful anymore. It's not helpful anymore
2: exactly
1: yes exactly it's useful until it's not mm-hmm. and so um one of my teachers she would always answer every question we'd be like in yoga teacher training some people would ask her questions and then she would be like well it depends it depends like every answer was always it depends and this is so great because it is it depends it's not a one-size-fits-all journey and there's not one truth truth is relative so if you are in shame yes it's healthy for you to go into that moment of you know, back and giving it back and having that blame for that time till it's not useful anymore. If you are in love, your next step, yes, blame is not necessary for you. <laughs> Please actually, do not go there. It <laughs> will sink
2: you to a whole other level.
1: Exactly. That, so. so it depends. It depends where you are. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, that's great. And that totally makes sense. I don't think people will be too, too triggered by that <laughs> <laughs> now that we've digged in a little bit. So I want to come back to something you said in the beginning when you introduced yourself, when you talked about the yoga of relationship. So of course, we can do this inner work on your own, right? But we're seeing here that you two are doing it together and you're being spiritual partners in this where you can help yourself in that growth path. So how does it look like to have or be on the yogic path as a spiritual commitment with a partner? And yeah, tell us a little bit about this and what how well, you do it. it
1: depends. <laughs> Some days. <laughs> depends what day you're asking us. Yep, 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 yep. Uh,
2: depends on what, what themes we're trudging through here. Right, right. <laughs> mm.
1: So, you know, everybody knows like in the yoga tradition, there's this thing with guru, like you need your teacher, right? Like somebody who can help you see your way out of where you are. And that term guru is like revealer of ignorance, revealer of darkness. It's like somebody who can hold up the mirror for you. That's why it's so imperative to have some sense of guru in your life. And in the yoga relationship, your partner becomes your guru. Like there's no better person to reveal to you your ignorance. Than the person you are in relationship with. Sounds like they will be the first person to hold up that mirror and to show you the aspects of yourself that you are maybe in denial about, right? So this yoga of relationship thing, of course, needs to be a two-way commitment. Like if you're, um, in a partnership and the other person hasn't agreed to this work, it could, that could be a little bit confusing, you know? So, uh, we're definitely in agreement that we're on this path together and that we're on the same team and that I fully want Matt to have, his spiritual journey and awaken to his truth and be in love and feel like his true authentic self. Like I want that nothing more for him. And he wants that for me as well. So it's never about like, you're right. I'm wrong. Um, this kind of thing. And the quickest thing is that, um, the way that we do this is when we are in a trigger or our partner's revealing something to us that is causing us to want to go into the ego and blame the other person or like get angry. The quickest thing is for us to get back to our inner work practice and say, I am being triggered because this is a wound within me and me and my partner now are on the same team looking at that issue, that wound together. Like Matt can help me out of the disillusion, the lie, like fear of abandonment. You know, like let's say he's doing something that brings up this like jealousy or fear of abandonment, like he's going to leave me, right? Right. Without this commitment of yoga relationship or inner work, we can just stay on the surface and be like, turn it into a surface level argument that he did something like I found uh, suspicious and, you know, blah, 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 and get into this whole drama, melodrama. Or we can say, wow. Why am I so insecure? Where is that coming from? Why do I fear abandonment? And instead of turning him into my enemy, he can help me out of that disillusionment and, you know, hold my hand and we can do this together. And so like that's our approach, whereas in like our relationship, it's, you know, the problems that are arising, we always say like, good, I'm so glad this is coming up. Because now it means it must be time for us to heal it instead of, Oh no, why is there a problem? This is a sign. We're not supposed to be together. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're on a spiritual journey. And as we progress on the spiritual journey, more and more things are going to, and more sophisticated things (laughs) are going to keep revealing themselves to us Mm -hmm. for us to, you know, transcend. So good. This must be coming up because it's our time to finally heal it. And so it's like a completely different approach to problems, not seeing the problem as a problem, in a sense, seeing the problem as an opportunity for transcendence.
0: Yes, yes. And for deeper connection and for probably, you know, deeper love and all these other juicy things.
1: Yeah. And disclaimer, we're like, we're not perfect at this, of right? Course. Like <laughs> We're not, we're still in it, you know, like uh, sometimes we're successful. Sometimes it takes longer to return to this awareness, you know. It depends. It depends. But the point is, as we always come back to this as our foundation, and that's what matters. Like we return to this as our foundation every time, even if it takes long time or short time. Like we return to this as the foundation, and that I think is
2: that's yeah. I think we built the whole marriage off of that Um, commitment to like when things get really hard and uncomfortable between us. One thing that I always fall back on is I have always promised myself and and therefore ash that i'm never going to stop looking at this i'm never going to stop reflecting so all i can say is that might be bumpy and rough along the way but i can guarantee and promise that i will never stop trying to heal and to work on it and i think that has given us a massive foundation that is able to survive the test of time because no matter what comes up it always comes down to that, which is, are you going to keep looking at yourself? or Are you going to say, no, nah, I don't want to look at that anymore. <laughs> Go ahead. That's just
1: who I, am, just, with just who it I am or not.
2: And, and my work with couples, I, I see that on the most common level is one person eventually says, no, that's just who I am. I don't want, I don't, there's nothing to talk about. So I think seeing that we went into our relationship focused on if we ha- share this common intention of always self-reflecting. And always being willing to look at ourselves and ask, am I being in love? Am I choosing love right now? And if both people are doing that constantly, I mean, so far, so good. Our theory <laughs> is that it's an eternal relationship because if both people choose love, then you'll always be in love. <laughs> so it's just finding out what is blocking that and then doing the the work. And it is uncomfortable. I think to be the most frank is... To you know, to answer the question of what's it look like, is it's extremely uncomfortable at times. It's like
1: climbing Mount Everest um, in the dead of winter.
2: But it's but but <laughs> like you said though, it's also ridiculously worth it. So is it uncomfortable? Yes, but it's also more. It's almost like this. Here's the. It's like a funny paradox. It's like it's the most uncomfortable, but it's also the most comfortable too. At the same time,
0: it's very because rewarding. the results
2: are. S- yeah, exactly. Like the reward is so peaceful and so blissful. Like when we maintain these states and we get through these hard times when big triggers come up, it's like, it doesn't even matter. Cause you're like, who cares? Whatever it took to get to this point, it doesn't matter because we're so in love. We're so much closer and everything feels so much more true that whatever we had to trudge through to get to the bottom of that and get rid of that, that thing, whatever it was, whether it was judgment or some sort of past conditioning or whatever was blocking us, it's always worth it. But, but it's, it does take work. That's why we call it the inner work is because we need to learn as a world to not run away from discomfort. And that's why I love yoga is because it's like an effort. Yeah. It's like be in the effort, be in the discomfort. We're being conditioned in society to, to be so afraid of discomfort. And we're all, it's like being brainwashed to the instant gratification. Everything's about instant gratification. It's like, man, that's like going to have some spiritual consequences though, because the spiritual journey, it's just the way the universe is set up. It requires discomfort. It requires effort. If you want to have an amazing relationship, yes, that requires effort. You're going to have to put time and energy into that. You're going to have to like have uncomfortable emotional conversations. (laughs) it's just, it's part of it, but it's so worth it. And so it's, it's kind of that major paradigm, uh, it, I think is the biggest thing is like being able to lean into the discomfort.
0: Mm, hmm. I love this. So there was two main themes in your answers. So just to come back to it for listeners, there was, how do we do this? Like, what does it, you know, what does it take? And I heard consent. I heard commitment, willingness. Uh, self-reflection, and just being there for each other. Anything else that I've missed? Just buckle up, baby, on your boots
1: and (laughs) get dirty.
0: And then on the other side, there was kind of steps in there. There was like a trigger, right? We noticed a trigger. And then we're asking ourselves where it's coming from. What's the story, the belief, the source, whatever's under there? We look at the blocks and then what am I missing? What do we do after those blocks? So,
2: Yes, yeah, so that's perfect. So you're outlining um, the steps Two, We go over in the book is, so we're identifying that awareness. The second thing you you mentioned perfectly too, is you're, you're looking for what are these root programs? What is, what is the belief that's feeding this? What's, what's giving this energy
1: or the past experience What's the past that experience that created this, this program
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. patterns. So then from there, we have to be willing to do this third step of, can I now move into a new narrative? Can I view this situation differently mm-hmm. rather than reacting and responding the way I always have in the past? So let's can I get like off a of really autopilot. Good, yes, exactly. Let's take like a really common example of. Um, let's say like fear and we have like a fear or anxiety and to keep it really simple, it's like the fear and anxiety is arising. We identify where it comes from. I maybe don't feel safe. I don't feel loved. And in that moment, I have to be able to pause. She can maybe help remind me, Matt. That's it's okay. That's not true. It, or, you know, like it could be viewed differently. And this is where finally, if I'm able to pause and breathe into that and realize, okay. I'm feeling this way because of the of what I'm viewing my reality as. I'm actually viewing it in a very specific narrative. I'm my mind is assuming all the worst-case scenarios. My mind is in the theme of fear, so it's it's projecting all this negative perspective into my future. Well, of course I'm going to be anxious. So instead though, if I pause and I breathe into that and I say, "Hey, This is arising, but it's not the only option. It's just what my ego is currently serving me based on my conditioning. So instead, she can hold up the mirror of that new narrative to be like, Matt, but what if instead you're safe and you're loved and and things are going to get better? What if like our favorite thing in the inner work is so fears whole narrative is like, what if? And then it's like a negative scenario. Whereas desire, the next theme up says, yeah, but what if it, what if it's good? So fear is like, what if it goes wrong? And then desire is like, what if it goes right? Like, what if it's awesome? What if it's better? And if I can lean into that next narrative, that next new energy, it will feel a little more attainable. So like, this was a really classic one with fear. It's always based on an illusionary future. Like it doesn't exist. And so it's saying, well, what if the future is bad? Well, then we play with the mind on that one. We say, okay, cool. Well, you don't know that though. So what if it's okay? What if it's good for you? What if it actually works out in a long enough timeline? And then, and then the mind can be like, oh, well, I guess I can't deny that. Yeah, so, I love the
0: attainable now, step. Now
2: something. Yes, exactly. Right? So it's not like you have to believe kind
0: of, this completely different thing that's so far up those themes of consciousness. Can you just be yes. open to the possibility that maybe there's something else there? Yes,
1: Right?
2: exactly mm. exactly and the
1: willingness to do that like period and every situation is you know it's it's a profound life shifting because everything we think we know what if it's what if it's not you know like what literally everything we know. think we know like what if it's not and so much of our attachments to this belief that we think is so set in stone um, we're building our identities off of it. We're building our, you know, viewpoints or our, we have these strong stances on things. It's just like, what if I don't know? What if I don't know? And mm-hmm. being open to what is, and um, as Matt was talking about fear, I have this come up. This isn't relationship related, but it comes up for me all the time. Whenever I'm home alone, I have this intense fear that like someone's going to come break in the house. It's like, I see this like violent crime happening in my head. I have no idea where it's coming from. It's like, did I see movies when I was little? Like, was this my mom's programming probably? And it's this, it really takes away from my experience until Matt gets back home, right? I'm not able to be at peace. I'm every little thing. And this, this work is that simple as what if I'm safe? What if nothing happens? What if I'm literally in like heaven on earth right now and it's just blissful? What if it's just a normal day? And like just letting myself open up to the possibility that this whole mind projection in my head is just displaying itself to me and I have the option to opt into that or not. And knowing you have an option is the most empowering thing because so much of us and so much of the time, we don't know we have the choice. And so whatever the mind is showing to us, We're just tuned into that station. Like it's, you know, Netflix and we're just watching that show. And it's like, you can change the channel and that knowing that right there, I think that's the third step is knowing you can change the channel.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that piece of choice. That is so important. And what we were talking about just before, it's so simple, yet so powerful. Like, of course, we think our thoughts are the truth and they're facts, Until we get a different perspective that makes us question those facts and be like, well, maybe there's another possibility, right? Like if we take this like really simple, like maybe when you were in school, you were told that Christophus Columbus discovered America and that was the fact and that was the truth until years later someone told you, well, actually there was people here before. And then you're like, oh, that thought I had was not true. Like that's kind of a... Silly, not silly example, just to take it out of context so people Mm -hmm. can be like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, that makes sense. But then what if that thought is, I'm not lovable, right? Like, can we accept that if we get someone else's perspective, if we get other facts, other disproving situation, we might be willing to be like, oh, maybe that thought is not the truth. Maybe this is not a fact. Maybe my brain is Mm -hmm. making this up because X, Y, Z. Hmm?
2: exactly
0: guys i love this conversation and i wish we could keep going forever but we're gonna start to wrap this up is there anything else you want to add before we finish anything i haven't gotten to that you think is important for the context of this conversation or maybe you have one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with with our conversation today like one important reminder
1: I think I speak for both Matt and I when I say, if you're listening to this podcast and you're even at all like tuned into this type of work, like you're doing a great job. Like you already are it. You're already doing it. Like the fact that this conversation is even in your paradigm is monumental. And I think like so many of us on this journey are. I don't know what this is when we get to like willingness or something in our themes of conscience. We're so hard on ourselves. Like, you know, we just want to be better and better and better. And the fact that you even want this and desire this is proof you already are it. Like you wouldn't have this desire inside of your being if it wasn't genuinely like, it's like who you are. So, uh, Is is that right? Yeah, I was going to say I
2: I run into that all the time, and I I find it I have a useful analogy for it of how it kind of feels. Is I've noticed this thing with like Ash was saying with with those of us who get really like into willingness, we get really motivated to keep working on things. The irony is we can accidentally fall into the trap of never feeling like it's enough. And so the analogy I use is that we want to be aware of is first it's it's highly imperative to to eventually start to think very highly of yourself. It needs to shift. It need. It's okay to do that. It's okay to love yourself. And the the some of the harder transitions in these higher realms, like Asha said, for those listening, you are that or else you wouldn't be here. The analogy is it's like being at the gates of heaven and like divine and angels, whatever your form of divinity is, literally like welcoming you. And it's like, you made it. Come on in. Come on in. And you're like, wait, who? You're like looking over your shoulder. You're like, oh, not me. You're not talking to me. And they're me. like, you know. <laughs> And they're like, no, you did amazing. You're so amazing. You're so loved. And you're like, no, I still have so much more work to do. I, I'm not, I'm, you can't let me in yet. And and so this is, I think, just to dovetail off what Ash was saying, be open to the idea of, n- yes, you can keep striving and being, um, striving for the improvement and exploring that. But ironically... One of the improvements eventually becomes, can you just love yourself and let, it be, let yourself be enough? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, an interesting obstacle because we wouldn't think that would be the work, but sometimes the work is really sweet like that. That's the sweeter nectar part of the work where it's like, no, literally you need to like, just go take the you day to it. love yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you need to just like have fun and remember that what you've already done and what you've already committed yourself to amazing. is oh my gosh, it's, it's astronomical. It's mind blowing the, the profound nature of aligning yourself with, with this work at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And guys, if you feel like this is impossible to go from one to the next, maybe we can start thinking in less binary, like one or the other, maybe we can play with the idea that they both can coexist for a while, right? You're like, this is perfect, but I might also want to explore this. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have to be like, either I'm on the path or I'm not. Like, maybe we can play with, maybe I'm doing two things at the same time. And it is all life and it's all part of, of it. Hmm. Exactly. Guys, I'll put all your info in the show notes, obviously. Uh, but where's the... M- What's the best place for people to find you in the meantime? If they want to get your book, they want to work with you in
1: some way. um, Tell us about that. Yes, please. Our uh, social media handles, TikTok, Instagram, all the things are at The Yoga Couple. Our website is theyogacouple.com. And the book is called The Inner Work, An Invitation to True Freedom and Lasting Happiness. And you can get it uh, pretty much everywhere and especially on Amazon. Amazing.
0: Thank you so much for your time today. That was a lovely conversation. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast. Screenshot you listening to this episode with your takeaways. And you can visit withribbon.com slash you slash Erica Belanger to become a premium member of the podcast. Get your hands on all our exclusive content, including our class library. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guests of today, Ash and Matt, the yoga couple, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible. And this includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening in. Until next time.